0: Everybody, welcome to Track Meet. My name is David,
1: <laughs> and I'm James. Are we doing a thing?
0: <laughs> and this week we're talking about the Beatles.
1: <laughs> that was so unexpected. Uh, no one ever expects the Liverpudlian accent.
0: Nope, never.
1: Um, yeah, this is uh this is a big one.
0: It's the Beatles.
1: It's the Beatles. Like, I feel like. I, should, we, I want to institute a rule for this episode.
0: <laughs> There's so many questions I had. We've got to like, narrow this down somehow.
1: I mean, it's going to be... I don't think we should count solo songs, of course.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I,
1: I think we should count songs that... Ha- I think the songs have to have all four members on them. Thoughts?
0: Uh, I had that question. I was like, it, it should feature the whole band.
1: I think, I think so, too.
0: Somehow or Um, another, because we're not talking about John Lennon or Lennon and McCartney. We're talking about the Beatles.
1: Right. So like Ballad of John and Yoko wouldn't count because that didn't have George or Ringo on it. So that's a no. I think it needs to be at least credited to all four Beatles. I know sometimes Paul was like, hey, Ringo, let me let me take a a spin on the old drum, drum phones. And then goes like, "That's not what we call it, you idiot! I'm leaving this band. I'm quitting. Get out of here!" Um, and then he did. But, uh, and,
0: then, and then he came yeah. back a couple of days later because he was really just kind of angry.
1: I got better, um, so <laughs> yeah. I think that. Uh, so I think it should have all four Beatles, and I think our categories. We need to remember to try and judge them based on the Beatles compared to the Beatles. Like I feel like music lyrics i think we need to be looking at the beatles like almost like self-reflective of themselves not like how does this how does musically like, this compare to the rest of music because i feel like we're going to be like well four.
0: <laughs> Shr-
1: shrug but i think we want to be like how does this compare to the rest of the beat like the denominator here is the beatles not the rest of music what do you think about that
0: so that's that's the special category, you think?
1: Oh, no, I, that, that, that's, just, that's just like an overall rating note that I would have is like, to compare it just to among their other songs, just to make it fit, like, so that you can be like, yeah, this is a great song. But as far as a Beatles song, it goes, you know, I think that would, that would, that'll... Temper the the ratings a little bit, um, and make yes. them not, make it more of an interesting discussion. That is uh, true. I have I no that. idea what the special category should be. I have no clue.
0: <laughs> well, lasting
1: impact. I mean, like, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you say, I pray to God we don't play enough of these songs so that we get sued by Apple Records. <laughs> um,
1: Deepest cut. I mean, maybe like you want, like, like so, like you, you kind of got to walk that that razor edge. So it's like I want to go a deep cut. So it's not like, you know, we don't both come with a day in the life or whatever. Oh man, I just realized that our rule excludes like yesterday. Interesting. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I think so we're like, gonna get some deep cuts no matter what we do here. I think
1: you're right. I think that, but I think we should be like, I think that the special category could be like deepest cut. That's all hmm. I can come up with what, what would you have what are your thoughts?
0: you know we talked we talked about that one of the criteria is that it features all four members. yeah. what if we graded on how integral each of the four members play into it? okay, or something of that of you so get really a point, break
1: down sort of each each contribution of each member and see what, like, what, which which song has the most maximum beatles?
0: Exactly. So John John's worth a point, George's worth a point, Paul's worth a point, Ringo's worth a point.
1: I like it. I like it. And you like you it.
0: grade in that interim there. I like it. Mhm.
1: Contribution impact of each Beatle. Which is going to
0: make for some interesting choices because some of their best songs were didn't have everybody in them.
1: That's true. Well, I mean, th- and those are those are not qualified. So, like, we're already narrowing down so that like there's going to be a non-zero number for each for each beetle because they're each gonna like you know Ringo drummed on this and he did fine. Okay, one. Like, it's gonna be everyone contributed. Oh man, this is gonna be interesting.
0: Well, this Ringo drum Ringo drummed and it was fine as half a point.
1: Okay. Oh right! I forgot. I forgot about half a point, but like, yeah, no, I'm no. saying We're like non-zero.
0: To get a full point, they're going to have to give in something very good to the song.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But what I, all I'm saying is, no one's going to be a zero because they're all going to be at least on it. Because of, of, of course, teams.
0: of course. Yeah. But yeah. do they get full credit for their contribution to that song? Right. I like Just it. it's going to make selection very tricky.
1: I'm, I'm I'm I like it, and I'm nervous. So that's going to be great. I, right. I always like when I'm nervous because that means that it's going to be a it's going to be a thinker.
0: Ooh! All right. Well, let's let's go re-listen to the entire Beatles catalog. I guess. <laughs> All right. Number nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And welcome back, everyone. David, are you ready to talk? You ready to talk Fab Four? I am. Although,
0: it's going to get weird.
1: Yeah, this is this is probably the most surprising group of songs that we've done so far, I think.
0: Because of the special category, we we went in some very interesting directions. The special category really, really shaped
1: this episode. And I was really intrigued to find that. Like... You the listener don't know the songs that we've picked. So in your head, take a moment and think, what are the Beatles songs that they're going to talk about if they're talking that they're gonna set two Beatles songs head to head? And I will say that you're wrong. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you are not right no matter what it is that you've thought of.
0: Most likely.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, I'm you're nope, it's not that one either. So let's get into (laughs) it. David, what Beatles song did you
0: pick? The Beatles song I have selected comes from the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, regarded by quite a few as the low point of the Beatles works. But in fact, I think has one of their sneaky best songs and the song I've chosen this week, It's All Too Much.
1: Okay, It's All Too Much. Now, this is a song that when you told me it, uh, I was about 30% at You Were Making It Up. So, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about It's All Too Much? (laughs) You seriously didn't know this one? I had never heard this song before in my entire life, and I talked to my dad in, in preparation for this, and I told him about this song, and I was like, David's pick is It's All Too Much. Have you ever heard of that song? And he's like, nope. Oh, and he was wow. he was a Beatles dude, like so. You are schooling two generations of Anderson men. Please, please proceed. That is amazing.
0: <laughs> so this was written and recorded during the Sergeant Pepper sessions in 1967, and there's a whole slew of songs. In fact, a lot of the songs that went on the soundtrack, the extra songs for Yellow Submarine. Uh, came out of those sessions. I know Hey Bulldog came through the White Album sessions, and that's because they've got videos of all of that. But it's written as a celebration of George Harrison finding LSD and the summer of love. And the lyrics Mm -hmm. are pretty evident on that. Harrison very quickly transitioned to Transcendental Meditation and the yogis, and they got out of the acid phase. But this was their acid song. Yes. (laughs) So many Beatles critics say that this song is just low. It's, it's rambling. It has no point. But there's a ton of people outside of the normal Beatles fandom that really found a lot of inspiration from this. They say, if you look back, this is a psychedelic classic. And as time has gone on, there's more and more critics who are revisiting this going, you know this would have fit in on Sgt. Pepper. There was one critic who said, this song would have been the third best song on Sgt. Pepper if they had put it on the record. Hmm. It's that solid and that good. And I do think it is, especially relating to the special category. This is a sneaky good Beatles song. Not only for the, the reason that it has feedback and like mm-hmm. really heavy, deep feedback, which is something that on any of their music... You do not hear this loud of a tone from them, but it's really good. So, that's my poet.
1: Okay, so It's All Too Much is your pick, and we are uh, setting it head-to-head with the song The End. my pick. Okay, so uh, the end is the culmination of the Abbey Road uh, B-Side medley, and it is uh, what I consider uh, the payoff of the previous five or six songs. It's largely instrumental, which is going to be interesting to talk about. I know. Uh, but It has some very, very good lyrics too, so um, I'm excited to pit it up against uh, something that is uh also uh, it's all too much is like six minutes long right it's
0: it is it's a long yeah long.
1: and the end is I think the whole medley is maybe like twelve to thirteen minutes so like if the end is like two minutes long and so I'm really excited to pit them against each other and so let's let's do that right now, David, the music of it's all too much
0: okay. When you just first listen to this song, it it can sound like a lot of noise being thrown at you. If you really sit down and and give it a bit, what you first figure out is that George is actually writing a raga. There's basically two chords going on and he's writing in this loop that goes over and over again. And he's arranged Mm -hmm. it so that all these different elements are coming in together. The fun part about this is George isn't playing that feedback at least by most reports, he's playing the organ that comes in underneath. And John is the one that actually does the feedback on the song. (laughs) Um, That makes sense. (laughs) As they layer in, I think it's mixed in between them. And one of the really cool things about this song is that it was recorded primarily with George Martin out of the room. They did it all together collaborating and mixing and building upon the uh, building upon the song as they went this also has maybe some of my favorite drumming from ringo i've ever heard if you listen for his drums on this song he is killing it he is so good and like wild on this song but in a perfect way that still goes with the beat there's something about the four of them playing together Paul's bass line is really intricate, which it always is, but you can hear it front and center. I have issues with the production on this song, which I'll talk about when I get there, Mm -hmm. but I think in terms of a song where the four of these guys are mixing and collaborating and building on what the other is doing, it's really fantastic. I actually gave this a four because it's unique. It's unlike any other Beatles song, and the amount of musicianship they have while still mixing together really works for me.
1: Okay. Okay. This is hard to rate and I'll tell you why. It's not every day that you discover a Beatles song you've never heard before (laughs) and then dive into it and listen to it over and over and over again, like you would if it was a new release. Yeah. So part of me wants to agree with the four because This is the first new Beatles song music. I actually just listened to Anthology 3 all the way through for the first time the other day. Uh So there was actually a couple new stuff, new things that, on that that I hadn't heard before. But like, it's not every day that you get to sort of do a deep dive on a very new Beatles song to you. Um, so part of me is like, yeah, this, this was mind blowing. I'd never heard this before. It was so out there and whatever. I think. I think I'm going to give it a 3.5 because I think that I wanted it to be... Like, I I appreciate the interweaving of everything, but I think I wanted it to be a little... I don't know if if it's just my own personal Western music biases, but I wanted it to be a little more in sync. And it sort of felt like a serendipitously synchronistic melange of... People playing all sorts of different stuff. Almost like, what was that? Um, That Flaming Lips, like four CD. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know where, what like, you're talking about. I don't remember the name. It was like of a it. box set. I don't remember what it's called. Um, yeah, but it was a box set where to... you.
0: It, yeah, it's a, it's a quadraphonic se- setup where you put four stereos in each corner of the room and you play the music at the same time.
1: Exactly. And it's supposed to do cool things and whatever. It sort of felt like that to me. And the fact that the four stereos were the Beatles really, <laughs> really, really helped. You know what I mean? Like it was like, yeah, th- th- they're in the room together, so they're playing off each other. But they're you can also sort of feel like they're doing all sorts of different things. And and I wanted it to be just a little more
0: together. And it so is, I'm going to give it a th- three and a half. Yeah, it is rough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny that. Yeah. But that's something that I really enjoy about it for me. I I definitely, it could have been a lot more of a
1: mess. Like, it could have been a a big, a big old mess. Yeah. And it wasn't. It wasn't at all. And I think we mentioned this in the intro. Any other band, this would be a four with a hammer and nail. And, like, Ah. this, uh, this not relative to the Beatles, but just relative to music. Especially I mean, even music in the year that this was recorded, this is you know top tier stuff, regardless of my critiques, but because we're it's Beatles versus Beatles, I feel like I can be just a a, a scotch more like yeah, I kind of wanted it to be more upper echelon heavenly music than it already is yeah. that's just that's just me
0: onto the end onto
1: the end, so the music of this song is the most of it, and I'm going to get into a little bit of it in the special category. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't realize that Ringo didn't want to be doing a drum solo. The drum solo at the beginning of this song was like, yes, a drum solo. This is young James who was not, had not heard in de Vida" or uh, Rat Salad by Black Sabbath. Led Zeppelin song that's escaping me that has a uh, "Boomy Dick which has a which has a a great extended drum solo in it too i heard any of that all i knew was the beatles as my, my like my old music so this felt very important and this drum solo feels incredibly poignant to me and i think it's i think it's great i know ringo hated it but i think it's great and then something that i didn't i didn't pick up on for many many years is the cascading guitar solos that make up the rest of the of the song where it goes uh paul into george into john and repeat twice. I have a thing to read because I think this is better described than I will ever be able to describe any music of all time. If I may, I'm going to uh, read something that was written by a guy named Gould, whose name is down there at the bottom of the Wikipedia article. Uh, It says... Paul opens with a characteristically fluid and melodically balanced line that sounds a high A before snaking an octave down the scale. George responds by soaring to an even higher D and sustaining it for half a bar before descending into syncopated pairs of sixteenth notes. John then picks up the pattern of George's sixteenths with a series of choppy thirds that hammer relentlessly on the second and flattened seventh degrees of the scale. The second time through, Paul answers John's bluesy seventh, bluesy flattened sevenths with bluesy minor thirds and then proceeds to echo George's earlier line, spiraling up to that same high D. George responds with some minor thirds of his own while mimicking the choppy rhythm of John's part. John then drops two octaves to unleash unleash a growling single-note line on this final two-bar solo, Paul plays almost nothing but minor thirds and flattened sevenths in a herky-jerky rhythm that ends with a sudden plunge to a low A. George then reaches for the stars with a steeply ascending line that is pitched an octave above any notes heard so far, and John finishes with a string of insistent and heavily distorted fourths phrased in triplets that drag behind the beat and grate against the background harmony. I love reading that because it feels like a play-by-play of a sports game you know, like a football player or whatever, written by someone who really, really knows what they're talking about. Um, so that's all I have to say about music. I'm going to give it a four. This is some. Of, this is one of my favorite Beatles songs, and it's largely because of the music.
0: We got a problem here, James. Uh-oh. Because I think of this as a coda to Golden Slumbers.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Golden Slumbers is my jam. When Interesting. We, when we hit that chorus and Paul hits the piano and. Bell stack line. Gold and slumber spill your eyes. Smiles
1: awake you when you rise.
0: Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. Ugh, I soar. Yes. So I always think of this as the tail end of that song.
1: It's hard not to think of this as the finale of a medley. And I will absolutely admit that.
0: And that's not going to impact how I feel about the music. But that, that colors a lot of it for me. Because I feel like the payoff is, you know, golden slumbers fill your eyes. Just Paul's belting this beautiful notes out. Fair, Yeah. I don't know. I so what I, what I get from that passage
1: which is by uh, Jonathan Gould by the way, Can't Buy Me Love, The Beatles Britain and America, Platkiss Books 2007, I found my citation.
0: Music theory aside because I don't understand yeah. any of it. <laughs> right. He's absolutely right that they're they're very concurrently building on each other's solos in a really right. intricate way. The problem for me is there's something that feels well done, mm-hmm. but not special. Okay, Th- this this comes down to personal preference a little bit for me. I like my Beatles a little more scruffy, a little edgier. Interesting. Okay, I mean, my favorite album for the longest time was the White Album because I dug the Helter Skelter and the and sure. the heaviness. I I really fell in love with like She Said She Said and Andrew Bird can sing and these riffier songs of theirs. Sure. And less of the intricate polish. And to me, what I'm missing here is I know these guys can go off. They feel restrained, and I'm not sure why. Mm. I don't think it's just the music, but there is a feeling with that. I'm going to go three and a half. Okay. I don't want to judge it too harshly for that, but there's something missing there, and I don't quite know what it is.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this, though. Is your current favorite Beatles album Revolver?
0: Nah, it's probably still a White Album, if I'm going to be honest. Okay,
1: okay, cool. cool. All right. lyrics of It's All Too Much.
0: It's corny. I'm not going to deny that. (laughs) But there's an earnestness with the way George is singing about it, and I think what's really cool is he doesn't make it about acid per se. He makes it about this discovery of this entirely new world. And I think you can read it in such a way that it, you know, there, there are certain things that just are so eye rolling and corny and age really poorly, but there's other lines. I'm sorry. The line, all the world is birthday cake. So take a piece, but not too much is really (laughs) good. Definitely. Definitely. And one of the things people talk about with this song too, is that, George is very self-aware in it. Like the line, show me that I'm everywhere and get me home for tea. At the mm. time, a lot of people roll their eyes. But if you're really thinking about it, what he's saying is, I recognize that I'm whacked out on drugs and this isn't <laughs> something that lasts. And so he's throwing in a little bit of self-deprecation, but right. at the same time, this song is, feels really inspirational and not in an earnest way in a way that makes sense that he's really feeling this you get the vibe that you know he he sees the world and he's like there's so much to try to take in and it's overwhelming every sense in my body and i need to just accept it there's something really beautiful about that as you go through it like I say, it's not perfect because in between a lot of that, there's some weird, outdated things. Yeah. But there's something about a, a song that can have platitudes and cliches that still work. I'm going to go three and a half on this because I really something that's one of the things other than the music, which I just fell in love with. The lyrics really started to like get to me in this. I can listen to this song and it makes me feel good. About life. Hmm.
1: I like that. I like that. So you're giving it a 3.5. Okay. Sometimes I have a hard time picking out lyrics in a song like this because the chantiness of it's all too much. It's sort of like, and I do this with all sorts of songs where I'm like, oh, it turns out that there are lyrics in between. Or like I'll get hung up on like what the rhyme, the rhyming words are and not listen to like what the rest of the line is saying. But in this, I sort of anticipate the it's all too much, part of it, and so I lose some of the lyrics. And that's not to say that that's going to factor into my grade. My grade that's not my own. My own shortcomings did not have to factor into the grading of these lyrics. I think that these lyrics, it's tough because when you get into really psychedelic stuff, and it's true for for the more famous psychedelic Beatles songs. And it's true for, in my opinion, like some of the trippier uh, Bob Dylan songs and some of the, like, you know, like the beat poets, Allen Ginsberg and stuff. When you get into imagery, you either have to really nail the symbolism and the like image and like show everyone sort of why it matters that you're talking about it in this way. Or it sort of sounds like, not word salad, it's not that level, but it's like I picked some, related images and put them together. It's
0: like you're relating your dream to someone. Right. And it it makes no sense to the person. It's so specific.
1: All that said, I think that... I think I'm going to give it a three because I think that there's some silliness to it that I think you can interpret in any way you want, which is the cool thing about sort of abstractions and songs that have sort of weird abstractions to it. And I think that that's valuable. I think... It's always weird when George flexes his, like, the same muscles that, like, he really loved Monty Python and stuff. Like, when he flexes those muscles, it always weirds me out, because I think of him as such a serious man. And he was kind of a a big goofball sometimes. Oh my gosh, Like yes.
0: Yeah, like... fun funded he, Monty but, Python's Holy Grail, like... Right,
1: so I think I'm gonna give it a three, just because I know, and again, I know I'm comparing it, but I think that A little bit of sandpaper on some of these lyrics would have gotten it closer to, you know, like a within without you sort of
0: situation.
1: I'm going to give it a three just based on that. All right. All right. Now here comes my, my Rudy moment (laughs) here. The lyrics for the end here, they are in their entirety. Oh yeah. All right. Are you going to be in my dreams tonight? Hey, dreams. Love you repeated ad, ad infinitum, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. I'm going to start by saying, by quoting John Lennon from Playboy, his 1980 interview with Playboy. He said, that's Paul again. He had a line in it, and in the end, the love you get is equal to the love you give, because John Lennon was a real dick. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that he didn't intentionally misquote that. Um, he said, he he went on to say, which is a very cosmic philosophical line, which again proves that if he wants to, he can think. Which... Like, what a backhanded compliment
0: that is. It is, but um, it's also true. Right. <laughs> Sorry, um, and I'm Paul. a huge...
1: I'm, a, re- I'm a, a reluctant Paul is my favorite guy. I want John to be my favorite so much, but like I'm such a... I'm a Paul through and through even as much as I want to like John or George songs better, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably be writing Honey Pie and I Will and all these sappy, old-sounding loves, old grandmother songs, as John John used to call them. I'd be writing those too. So shortness and brevity of the, of the lyrics aside, I will say that And In The End The Love You Take Is Equal To The Love You Make is fairly iconic. It made its way into an SNL sketch of classic note from Chris Farley. It sort of summarizes, I feel like if not the whole of the Beatles thing, at least sort of Paul's thing, there's not a lot going on, but I feel like here's my pitch. I'm going to give it a three and a half because when you nail it, you nail it and you don't need to say much more.
0: I agree with you, but I gave it a three and it's because there's Shit. nothing else there. Right. Um. If, if right. there were a couple, I mean, it'd easily be a four if he gets more lines like that in the song, in this finale. Correct. But a, one right. killer line is worth a ton in this song. It's just that right. there That's are it. more lyrics and they kind of mean nothing. Right. So, <laughs> three, I think, a solid three, especially for that line alone, I, I can I can yeah. roll with that.
1: Right on, right on, right on, all right, listeners to this show will know that before we do production, I like to talk about the various sundry producers of the songs that we're talking mm-hmm. about, getting into like some of the more like unknown names, people that don't get a lot of credit for you know making the music happen beyond the band so George Martin <laughs> doesn't need that kind of introduction he. Pro- he is the name that is on the producer credit for both of these songs I mean i'm I'm not he produced the Beatles famously he did other stuff, but like he George Martin I'm not worried about making sure that he gets the credit that he's due so I think we can move <laughs> right into great producer world would not be the same without him. Let's m- move on into production for its ultimate okay Much.
0: This is one of the rare instances where Sir George Martin fucked the song right up. Harrison has has come out and quoted. He was like, we had a perfectly good song, and then he had to throw horns over it. Uh. And this is one of the very rare instances. When those horns come in, it's right about the point where the song is probably feeling a little too long to begin with. Right. And there's something about... Mixing down the feedback, which has been this central theme of the entire song to layer some horn flourish over that I start to go, oh, George, why did you do that? (laughs) The vibe that I get is that George Martin didn't like this song. That Mm. he would. The Beatles loved it. They had made it. They had created it in this in whatever session they had. And he never really gave it a fair shot. And I I think the remaster has it. I mean, they've got all the remasters, but there's something about this song. And I wonder if like deep on the Sgt. Pepper stuff, if he did this, but having Giles go in and remix this song with all the work he's done on Sgt. Pepper and the White Album, having him go in and lift up all these elements because when you can hear Ringo's drumming and how like almost Keith Moon, like he is on this song or Mm -hmm. just how intricate that feedback loop is that they're doing and how well it intertwines with the rhythm. I I feel like he buried the thing. he, He sort of buried some of the things that were really good about the song and then tried to add stuff on top of it to make it feel more Beatles instead of letting it be what it was which was this really good song. Right. I am reluctantly going to give this a two and a half because I think the production buries what's really cool and fun about this song.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I think it sounds really cool. I think I might be a little bit more inclined to give it like a three because I think, I don't know, I, I feel like what it has going for it and what the song is trying to do, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not, in any way saying that this is what George Martin pulled off but i think what what comes through the song for me is sort of like a like a a trifle almost or like a a layer cake a seven layer dip if you will if you want to have lunch before dessert and so some things have to get buried because they have to be the foundation of the seven layer dip i might be hungry um so uh uh but what i'm saying is like some things being buried deeper um, and sort of almost just barely like audible through the, through all the rest of it, kind of works for me for what this song is trying to do. So I think I'm gonna give it a three because I think t- even despite his best efforts, and it may be that I'm, that I'm being swayed by the horns because as we previously established, a horn line does a whole bunch for me, even if it's not appropriate or, or we don't need it there. I think that I'm going to give it
0: a three. I think the other two things I'll say just on just on my end were one I know that the Beatles had a hand in producing this song especially that bass level of what's going on and also George could have very George Martin could have very easily said okay end the song here but he lets it keep right. going Yes
1: I'm I've been trying to find all episode the perfect time to say that it is in fact all too much Oh yeah it is uh.
0: way too damn long <laughs> I mean, we get in we get into a a very ridiculous Hey Jude style chant of too much at the end, <laughs> where it eventually devolves because it's Paul and John being ridiculous into Cuba over and over again. <laughs> but I mean, after that second uh. verse and and maybe when George, because I do love when George starts singing with your long blonde hair and your eyes of blue, which is just just right. like whoa. <laughs> This sort of beautiful little moment, but then just slow fade it out. Like, let's end and enjoy just that wonderful little treat we have. But then we just keep going for another minute and a half.
1: And, I mean, I would be cool even if you helter-skeltered it and turned it back up. Like, if you faded it and then came back in and then faded it again, I'd be totally fine with that, too. This is a situation where I agree. I think that when people are like, "Oh man, why'd you fade it? I want to hear how the song ended and stuff." It's like, yeah, but sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes hit. Sometimes the director has to say cut.
0: I'd I'd say nine times out of ten, it ends pretty dumb, and yeah. they faded it out because they knew it was gonna not end very well right. for you.
1: All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh the production of The End. I think it's great. I think that um actually I listened to again, I know I know I keep bringing it up. This is not sponsored by the Beatles Anthology 3. However, the, a version of this song was on that album and it was interesting to hear sort of a raw tape of what was going on because there were things that they definitely turned down on this that on the like the this just the studio take were we're all turned up and there and like the solos were all not there in this studio take too and i feel like production super cleaned up this song a lot and in a way it may be that production is the star here i mean if we're talking the medley as a whole which we're not the production is is the thing i mean the the production is the artist you know i feel like slicing everything together and making it sound like this one opus is is the game on the medley. In this song, though, I think you have that in miniature, where it, it seems to me like you have uh, a bunch of different parts that were sewed together to make it sound like a complete piece that is a larger piece of a larger piece. Um, so I think I'm going to give production here... I'm going to give it a a three and a half.
0: I I give it a four. The only thing that would tell you that this, this came from 1969 are the limits of the instruments and the microphones themselves. That's it. Mm. Sir George nailed this one. He just did. He nails, he nails the take. He nails the mix. Everything sounds perfect. I keep lying to myself and saying the white album, the white album might be my favorite album, but I still think Abbey Road's the best Beatles album. Like I really do front to back the way it flows together the way it all works together i just it's it's been one of those wow i'm in awe of just how this all works and i know there are objectively like better groups of songs revolver is always considered one of the top notch but uh, right. I, there's something about the way all of abbey road works together that just works for me <laughs>
1: Um I think that Abbey Road is the best Beatles album, but I think Revolver is my favorite yeah. Beatles album. Like I think in the same way that at least personally when someone asks me who my favorite band is, I'm assuming they mean like after the Beatles. <laughs> like yeah yeah yeah. The Beatles, right right. But but besides them, who is your favorite band? Like that's sort of how I feel about Abbey Road where it's like what's your favorite Beatles album? Yeah yeah yeah. Don't say Abbey Road. What, what's the next one? So, yeah. Man, See, and I always uh, I always
0: feel Abbey Road gets sort of short shrift in the, like, larger really? scheme of things. Well, I feel it always goes... I mean, it definitely gets overshadowed by I Sergeant think Pepper. I think You're that's right. what it is, is everybody just points at Sergeant Pepper and goes, but that. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's impressive. Don't get me wrong. But, like, Abbey Road is the end point of that. It is the yeah. culmination of what they exploded with that. But, no, the... He nails the production on this. So I it's perfect for me. Cool, cool, cool.
1: All right. Relistenability of It's All Too Much. This
0: is, this is a weird, <laughs> weird thing for me. The song is overlong, and so that hurts it. I have to dock for that. However, I want to listen to the opening chord strike on this song, like the first 10 seconds, over and over and over again. <laughs> with the joke of George Harrison yelling, to Yorma, which is one of the guitarists of the Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> then John slamming that feedback out, slamming that note and putting it right against the amp so he gets the feedback, and just wailing it all over the place in the most unexpected Beatles moment you would ever think. <laughs> And then George jacking the volume on the Hammond and hitting the notes. Yeah. And you're like, what am I in for? Yeah. Because <laughs> this song feels like a ride. Right. Just the way the tone on the guitars is totally unique. The The way that they use the organ as its own almost feedback guitar, which doesn't really become a thing until the early 70s in prog rock. Right. This anticipates... The that this is just one of those songs that i don't listen to the whole way through but Mm. i want to hear those opening two lines and just bathe in the sound of it Mm. like i just enjoy letting this song wash over me so i'm gonna i i I need to dock it i was gonna give it a four i'm gonna do a three and a half because I won't listen to it the whole way through. I want to loop back around and start it at the point that I love. Okay. That
1: makes sense to me. I think there are two ways of listening to this song. And one of the ways is active listening where you're paying attention to what's going on and you're you're listening to every note and you're immersing yourself in it and 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 looking at all the all the colors and shapes as they go by. And that's overwhelming and I can't do that for this song like once is like okay. I'd I'd love a uh, blackbird, please. Like <laughs> you know. But the other way, so that way I would give it like a like a two and a half. The other way is putting it on, putting it on repeat, and going and sitting in your beanbag chair and just like letting it wash over you like the tide, and just like. Like, not hearing the lyrics so much, not hearing, like, the individual instruments so much, but hearing sort of the energy that you have to really, really get yourself into a hippie mindset, I'm realizing. Like, the energy washing over you and the whole feel and groove of it washing over you. I feel like you could listen to this all day long, which, of course, is like a four. So I'm going to give it a three because I think that those two are warring with each other, um, and I, I don't know where... I guess I, I land somewhere in the middle because I was trying to pay attention to this song because I was trying to prepare for this podcast. But if I'm ninth grade James playing uh, Shadows of the Empire on my Sega Genesis and I have this on, it's going to be just like when I had Dark Side of the Moon on, and it's going to be like, yes, I would like to fight Boba Fett to this on repeat. You know what I mean? <laughs> like It's just just over and over and over and over again there's nothing there's absolutely I would I would bliss out to the song like 100% so I'm gonna give it a three for an overall you know mixed mixed bag
0: yeah and I think there's something to that in that I think George meant it to be that way yeah I think that's why he arranges it this way he's like you should feel like you're on a trip right that's that's why you know don't don't try to find too much seriousness in this just let it wash over Man. It is very hippie, but in yeah. a, like a really awesome way. For me. right, I mean, like there's not
1: like some. I feel like people roll their eyes at like the whole hippie thing, but like there's a there's at least some grains of truth in what they were what they were peddling. Like, yeah. So I think I think there there's a lot to be said for you know uh, just sort of letting your easing your mind into this song and just sort of letting it sort of go where it will. Okay. So the re-listenability of this particular song the culmination of the uh, Abbey Road medley um, it has to lose some points because I would much rather listen to the whole medley. However, I was surprised to learn, and I don't know if this is because it was influenced by this song sort of being the opposite of It's All Too Much. It's like simple, everyone sort of taking turns, form, you know, queuing up, as they'd say. Um, these songs paired together made a really good uh, mix, actually. Um, I was surprised by how re-listenable this song is, um, especially if you're, like, hearing the interplay between the guitars. And uh, There's at least one, one re-listen where I just laugh at John being a dick. Like he plays guitar like a like you like I wouldn't want him any other way. But no one else could play like a sarcastically like distorted guitar. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Like if Groucho Marx played a distorted guitar, I think he's the only one that could come close to both rocking out and rolling your eyes at the guy that's rocking out—that is also you, like, like it's—he's taking the piss out of himself. Kurt Cobain is—is—is is, is
0: he, he's close. the one who got the closest?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's a—I think there's a direct continuum from Groucho to Kurt Cobain through John Lennon. Absolutely, yeah, something there. So, uh, I found this very relistenable, but it loses points for being a part of a whole. So I'm gonna give it a three.
0: And I went two and a half because I would agree with the part of a whole statement. And the issue then for me comes into that. I hear it once and I'm fine. Right. Because like, and as I said before, I circle back to Golden Slumbers. That's my high point. Sure. And then this feels like the, okay, well, this is there and it's cool and I'll let it play. If I'm going to listen to the whole album, I'll listen to that. But otherwise, I just want to hear that first part of Golden Slumbers. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm good. <laughs> and that's that's where it has, is for me. So I went two and a half on that.
1: Cool, 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 cool. Special category. The category that turned out to basically craft this show into the weirdness that it is. How did the four Beatles contribute to this song? And I believe in the intro we said that basically... Making a point for each beetle makes you a point for each beetle.
0: I, sort of we can we can get into varying degrees because if we had chosen certain things, you know do they make an impact and and you right. may you know you may see it differently. I, for it's all too much. you've got George singing, which is yep. already its own thing. Right. but you also have him with that organ and possibly some of the lead guitar. We're not sure because it's very layered. Right. But he's he's the master of ceremonies of the psychedelic parade. Correct. Like, he's the one leading this craziness. John's got this main guitar part, and I'm like, I haven't heard anybody play this heavy and hard at the time it was recorded except for Hendrix. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that gets a guitar tone sound like that. That is insane to me. And so many other bands are trying at this point. But it's it's john lennon and Jimi hendrix are the only two who get that tone in 1967 fair so there's something about john not just in the feedback but then with also the tone of the rhythm guitar he's playing with it paul's bass is buried in the mix a little bit but when you pick it up it is all over the place like he is noodling around the main line and note so wonderfully, like in a John Entwistle way from The Who, mm-hmm. where you're like, dude, you're all over the place, but it works. Yeah. It just absolutely. works. And it's Paul not trying to fuck the song. It's Paul just trying to make this thing sound really good. And then, as I said, it, Ringo is playing with the energy of Helter Skelter, but mm-hmm. then he's also doing the fills that he doesn't do in that song. Right. Like in Helter Skelter, he's pure energy. But in this, there's so many fills and flourishes within the rhythm. He's really relaxing into it while staying on the beat. Right. And it's that thing of he doesn't need a solo to show you how impressive he is. He does it by filling in the rhythms there. Right. I think what this song is more than like a good Beatles trademark song Mm. is a highlight of all four of these guys playing at their peak ability. They are okay. all in a very peak moment of creativity for them. And they're all playing at the height of that. And it's rough, but it showcases how good they all are. So I gave it a four. Okay.
1: You make great points. It. I, I'll agree. I'll agree with a four. I think that they are all uh, working together to, to make... To make that work, and in isolating each individual Beatle, you would be able to make a point for they are adding something crucial to this song. Absolutely. For the end, it's sort of, like I've said, this is sort of the polar opposite. It's interesting that we pick these two songs the more and more I think about it, because like you can make similar statements about them, and they're the opposite of songs. I feel like this is the Beatles' uh, all four contributing about equally to the creation of a song and i think that it's less of a it's less of like a seven layer dip and more of like a cheese platter where each of the beatles contributed a different cheese that works well with the rest of the cheeses but is in fact a very distinct you know different kind of cheese laid near And perhaps arranged among, but like you can pick out individual things and they come apart very easily, whereas yours is more blended and cooked together. Yeah. I think I could make a case for everyone that needs to be playing at their max on this song. I don't know that it's necessarily them playing at their highest level of creativity. This was the last, the last song recorded by all four Beatles. Yeah. And so. It almost, it's not a victory lap so much as like, uh, like checking off boxes. I think that all four contribute, but I think that, like, if you start breaking it down and thinking about it the way I am and have been since I started talking, you sort of don't feel the love as much as you might in another thing. And, uh, you know, as we know, all you need is love, so I'm gonna take off half a point for, you can sort of feel that everyone is just sort of there doing their thing and like wants to just get this over with and and check a box. I'm going to give it a three and a half.
0: I didn't go that route. I I actually gave it a four. Okay. I think what, what you're hearing is something refined. This is something that the Beatles do throughout their entire career. They explode with a bunch of energy and then they refine and they refine and they refine and then they explode with new energy. So you start with something like, you know, Meet the Beatles, and by the time you get to Hard Days Night or Help, it's been really crystallized and refined. And then they go, "Well, now we're in a box, so we're gonna do revol- or Rubber Soul. We're gonna blow right. it all up, and then we're right. gonna refine, and then we're gonna blow it all up again with with Sgt Pepper. And this is the final crystallization of that. Interesting. I think what we're this, the, what we're seeing here is it's all too much being this explosive amount of creative energy." And the end is this consolidation and refinement of that energy.
1: Beatles as Pulsar. I like it.
0: And so, you know, the the band is completely locked into the groove of the song. Nobody's stray. I think the only only suggestion that they would be out of sync is just because somebody's mic doesn't blend quite right when you mix another guitar solo in. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it's just not at the exact same level, so it sounds like one continuous guitar, yeah, and that's that's limitations of technology. If they did that now, it would be seamless,
1: right, but I don't think you want it to sound like I think that I actually prefer it to sound like three different guitars yeah. because I like to think that it's like now you go, now you go, now you go, um sort of deal,
0: yeah, I, just that thing of it feels like one continuous mix. And that's a production right. thing regardless. You know, the trebling guitar parts is great. But also the bass hits the groove really well. When yeah. you hear the bass in the song, it's also mixing super well. And Ringo is so on the rhythm. I know people give him a hard time. And I know it's not the hardest song in the world. But it's how precise he is Yeah, in keeping that rhythm while the rest of them go nuts. Yeah. It all just works. So I I went with a 4 because it's a crystallization and an intermeshing and working it to hit the exact thing they want to make. And that's one of the things the Beatles did best.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, David, all right. With with that vote, I have our final tallies. And this is uh, one of the closest uh, we've ever had which Woo. feels right the winner won by half a point <laughs> and in the end it was the end oh, yeah. all right. uh. With 34 and a half points to it's all too much is 34 points i can't I can't think of a more perfect way... I guess a tie would have been the only more perfect way for this to... (laughs) The only more perfect way for this to end. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that these are two very interesting moments in their discography, but I I couldn't... I just couldn't bring myself to be like... uh, I don't even remember what what, what my number two and number three were on this list, because it's so interesting when you start to look at it, that like... Technically, they're all contributing, but, like, practically, they're not always all contributing. And it's very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. When you break it down that way, it really makes you head scratch and rethink how you view this band. Right. You really have to. I, I always found myself, in every case, being drawn to Georgia's songs because they almost always got everybody mixed in. Right. As opposed to the McCartney and Lennon stuff. And when you start going down that route, you start getting into deep cuts. Yep. And it's, it's this whole different world of the Beatles that you don't think about because you're so used to thinking about the perfection of the songwriting and not always realizing, oh, wait, though, they also have all these songs where it's more about how the interplay is working. Absolutely. That's
1: going to do it. David, I think we've done it. I think we, did. we 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 took the Beatles and we we made the episode that everyone was expecting us to make about the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: everybody um, skipped ahead to this, and it's exactly <laughs> what you thought was going to happen. Everyone
1: thought that that we were going to pick "It's All Too Much" and the end uh, as our Beatles songs. So that's going to do it for us for uh, this episode. If you want to get in touch with us at Track Meet Cast is uh, where the podcast is. I am at unabashed
0: James, and I am at. Big Mac and Pod. If you want to
1: send us a longer than a tweet message, you can email us at trackmecast at gmail.com. And of course, I assume that you're all nice and cozily subscribed to the podcast. Um, we're going to be back with a guest next time, and I am quite excited about the next episode. It's going to be great. But until then, hashtag
0: soul Fight.
1: But she doesn't have a lot to say. My Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I wanna tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. My Majesty's a pretty nice girl. Someday I'm gonna make her mine. Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make her mine.